thank you, praise team. Thank you, Brother Mark. Wonderful worship. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 21 through the end of the chapter. One of my favorite old hymns, God's Infinite Amazing Grace. Continuing on, and today we're talking about God's design for marriage in the book of Ephesians. Paul's been talking about the church, and now he shifts gears and he talks about the family. So let's begin in verse 21. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and here's what the Bible says. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis, and he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word today. Well, a couple had been married for 50 years, and they went out to eat dinner on their golden anniversary. So the husband was trying to say something kind to the wife, but there was a lot of ambient noise in the restaurant. It's a little hard to hear, and as you get older, the hearing kind of fades. And he looked across the table at her and said, After 50 years, I found you tried and true. And she said, What? He said, After 50 years, I found you tried and true. And she said, What? He said, after 50 years, I found you tried and true, to which she responded, well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too, right? <laughs> well, sometimes I guess we do get tired of each other in marriage. There's a lot of negativity about marriage out there. People make all sorts of jokes about marriage. I read something recently. Someone said marriage is a three-ring circus, a three-ring circus. Engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffer ring. Man, I just don't believe. So I have to tell you, that has not been my experience. Next to receiving Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, best decision I've ever made was marrying Alicia Ann Swan. Lisa, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. I found someone to share life's up and downs with, the joys and the trials. I wouldn't be half the man I am today if it weren't for my wife. Sometimes I read these stories where they interview famous people and they ask them, if you had a day to spend with one person, who would it be? And people answer all sorts of things. Some pop star, some great athlete like LeBron James, or some, oh, Hollywood person like Justin Timberlake. 
Let me tell you, if I had one day to spend with anyone, I'd spend it with Lisa. That's who I'd want to spend it with. And marriage is supposed to be like that, that you want to be with each other. When I was in the army, the most common question I got from my soldiers was, do you and your wife, I was asked this more times than I can count. They wanted to know, do you and your wife ever have a fight? So I, I learned that what they meant by fight was this, threats, cursing each other out, physical violence sometimes, storming doors, slamming doors, and I'm leaving. And I just want you to understand that if that's what you mean by a fight, I've never had a fight like that in my marriage. Now, have we been mad at each other? Amen. There have been times when I've said, I'm going to get on my motorcycle and go for a ride. And Lisa said, you need to get on your motorcycle and go for a ride. That's what needs to happen right now. But we've never cussed each other and never called each other names and never threatened to leave. And um, there's never been any physical violence. And in this culture, when you tell people things like that, it's like you just landed from Mars and they think you're lying to them because that's their only point of reference. And they think it's all just a dream and that we're making it up. And I'm going to tell you, it's not a dream and it's not a lie. When Jesus Christ is Lord of the home, you can have peace immeasurable. A husband and wife can love each other through the good times and through the bad times, through each other's failings. And you can have a marriage that is dynamic and powerful and last. But it comes from doing it God's way. So in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see five key ideas about how to do marriage God's way. God's amazing grace applies even to marriage. And we're going to see how being saved by grace is important to having a marriage that survives by grace. So let me share with you several key ideas about what it means to have a successful marriage from God's blueprint. And I'm going to start... Not in Ephesians 5, but back in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.32. Notice what it says. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be kind to one another. Now, I teach at a seminary, and I've got a lot of men. Men tend to be more right-brained. They get everything analytical, and they, they like the symmetry. And so when my students read Ephesians 5, 21 through 20, uh, 33, they like the symmetry that's laid out there. There's a role for the wife. There's a role for husband. Everybody learns their roles. That's good. And there is roles there, and we're going to talk about them for just a second. But I'm just going to tell you, uh, I believe everything that Ephesians 5 says. But from my personal experience, the most important verse from my marriage has been Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another. Don't forget to be kind to one another. To treat each other with dignity and honesty and truthfulness and love. Be kind to one another. Sometimes we rush past Ephesians 4.32 when we're talking about marriage. Married life is full of, so, full of so many ups and downs. It's easy to forget common courtesy. It's easy to forget to say things like please and thank you and you're welcome. Men, I'm going to tell you something. I still open the door for my wife every time we go somewhere. I get the car, I open the door. I want her to know that she's the one girl in my heart and I want to treat her with dignity and respect and I want there to be kindness. There is so much pain and discouragement in this world. It is, there is somebody tomorrow morning that's going to be critical of somebody in here at work. You, you, you're dreading going to work tomorrow. And there's so much criticism and people are so negative. Some of you have had people that your entire life have told you you're a loser and you're never going to be anything. 
Marriage should be a place of encouragement. Marriage should be a place where a husband and wife come along beside each other and they're kind to each other. And the wife says to the husband, honey, I'm in your corner. And the husband says to the wife, baby, I've got your back and we're in this together. We're going to be kind to each other. Once about 15 years ago, when I was in administration at the seminary, I was assigned the task of organizing a major event with a major speaker. This guy had been a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he'd written a number of books, and he was used to speaking to hundreds, if not thousands, of people at a time. I won't get into all the details, but we, the event didn't go well at the school. It was all on me, and in our chapel, there were maybe 40 or 50 people. It was so discouraging. So this guy's used to speaking to hundreds and thousands. We got 40 or 50, and everybody's looking at me. Why are there only 40 or 50 people here? I didn't want to tell him it's maybe because he wasn't as hot as he thought he was. But anyway, that's, that's what I thought. But um, So at break time, I guess about 9 o'clock in the morning, 9.30, we had a break. And I called Lisa on the phone. She said, how's it going? I said, it's not going well. There's hardly anybody here. And uh, about 30 minutes later, before the next session started, my wife showed up and sat on the front row. And I can't tell you how that encouraged me. Because I had a lot of people mad at me. A lot of people were angry at me. And to have my wife show up and sit on the front row. And besides that, she's really pretty, so I felt better, right? But, I mean... uh, to show kindness in a moment when you're in the middle of failure. You've got to be kind to each other. You've got to forgive each other. Notice what Ephesians 4.32 says. Would you look at it again? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. I need to talk to all the single people and teenagers here. Romance is a real dangerous thing. I mean, it's buyer beware. And so you need to listen to what Brother Allen's about to tell you. Missionary dating is a really bad idea. Let me tell you what missionary dating is. Well, he's not a Christian, she's not a Christian, but if I date them and then maybe they get saved because I really like them and they're cute and they're funny and I like them, that's a really, really bad idea. Missionary dating is a bad idea. Let me tell you why. If you want someone to give you grace in marriage, which is what forgiveness is, they have to have received grace. And if you marry someone who's never tasted the grace of God, they're not going to know how to give you grace in marriage. And you're headed toward a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. I, uh, I, have, a, I have two daughters. I pray for the men they're going to marry every, all the time. They're in my prayer journal. I pray that they'll marry godly men. But young men and young women, I'm telling you, you have to forgive each other in marriage. You're going to let each other down. You're going to have bad days. This this in love experience is a wonderful thing. That urge to merge you feel when you're about 19, 20, and 21. I mean, it's overwhelming. And it's a good thing, but it has a time limit on it. It's been studied scientifically. I'm not making this up. About 18 to 24 months. And then you wake up one morning and you realize, man, I really did marry somebody who's mentally broken, really. That's what, um, this person needs help. And you just want to slip Xanax into their spaghetti or something because you're convinced that they're messed up. So you're going to have that one time I had a young lady I'd hired as an um, administrative assistant years ago. 
And she had just gotten married, Heather and Matt. And she had been in love with Matt for years, and Matt couldn't make up his mind if he loved her or not. And finally, he broke down and he asked her to marry him. They got married. And I hired her one month after she'd gotten married. And so he was a student at our school, and she worked in my office. And every time, he, every time there was a break in the class, in between classes, he would come over to Dr. Branch's office to see Heather. And do y'all remember that song, Nadia's Theme, from 40 years ago? Some of y'all remember that? Dun, 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 dun. I swear I heard that in the background every time he walked in the room. And steam would rise between them, right? And they were just long at each other. And then they started smooching on each other. And I had to sit them both down and talk to them about public display of affection in the dean of students' office, right? Anyway, um, so they... But one day I'm at the cat, and every conversation just Matt, 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 Matt. And so one day I'm at a photocopier, and, and my young administrative assistant there just talking about Matt and how awesome Matt was. And at this point, they've been married about six months, and she just gushed out, and we haven't even had an argument yet. I thought that's so sweet. That's the sweetest thing I ever heard. I didn't want to burst her bubble, right? I didn't say anything. I just said, "Well, Amen." Let me just tell you, it's coming, right? It's going to happen. Sooner or later, you're going to get mad at each other about something, and you got to forgive each other. Forgiveness is a gift that you give someone. God gave us the gift of forgiveness, and forgiveness is a gift you give to your spouse. And you have to forgive each other. You've got to be kind to each other, to treat each other with dignity and encouragement. You've got to forgive each other. But then not only being kind to one another and forgiving each other, you've got to put each other first. Notice what it says in verse 21. Notice what the text says. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, this is a transition verse. It, it's the end of a section where Paul is talking about how we should act in church and what Christian ethics should look like. And he's segueing into the family. But notice what it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. It's a transition verse. He shifts from talking about the church to the home. So listen carefully. The reason why this is so important, no church is going to be stronger than the cumulative strength of the families in that church. And if I have families that are in chaos and they're arguing and fighting, they're going to bring chaos and arguing and fighting to the church, and the church is not going to be evangelistic, and it's not going to reach people. Hey, I just got to be honest with you. Lisa and I will have our 30th anniversary this fall. I cannot tell you the number of Christian couples that we worked with in church, we served with in church, that we ministered with people. We were in their marriages. I performed the weddings. They got divorced. And you know it's true. As soon as I mention that, you got names in your mind. People that used to attend this church that you would have thought, man, that couple is strong. They're dynamic. And the next thing you hear, they have split up. And I can't solve everything about divorce today, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Somewhere at some point, people stop being kind to one each other. They stop forgiving one another, and they stop putting the other person first. Listen carefully. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And you need to write that down. Let me explain what that means practically when it says that we should put the other person first, submitting to one another, putting the other person first. So when you get a contract for a cell phone, for example, you go and you're, whichever carrier you're talking to, you're asking that person, what does this cell phone contract have for me? What am I going to get out of it? How, what kind of coverage? What kind of phone am I going to get? So it's all about the derived benefits that you get. Does that make sense? That's a contract. Okay, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And in a covenant, 
The most important thing is not what do I get out of it, but what can I do to help make the relationship better? The relationship comes first. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. Uh, In a contract, virtue doesn't really matter. Listen, you go down to the Sprint store and you tell them you want to get a phone contract. They don't really care if you're a vulgar, profane person. All they care about is do you pay your bill on time? So in a contract, virtue doesn't matter. In a covenant, virtue is everything. Your virtue as a person, the way you carry yourself, that's why kindness and forgiveness, those are virtues that you live out. It's everything. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Contracts have time limits. We've got one on our phones that's about to run up and sometime this next month or so, and we got to get new cell phones because I'm not a cell phone guy. My girls are all cell phone, They whatever the hippest and the baddest is i still wish i had my flip phone just as an act of rebellion right um but we got to get a new phone well why is that because this contract had some sort of time limit on three years the contract runs out a covenant doesn't have a time limit a covenant is for a life and i'm pleading with you to come to marriage with this idea i'm not in a contract i'm in a covenant i'm not in it for what i can get out of it i'm putting you first i'm putting the relationship first i want to use a silly line from a movie called the music man any of you guys older people you remember this movie the music man back years ago yeah robert preston and shirley jones it's a hilarious movie uh i, I love that song we saw, we got trouble right here in river city starts with t rhymes with p that stands for trouble But there's a scene in the movie when Shirley Jones is in love with Robert Preston, and he's really a rascal, but she's in love with him. And her mama's a little upset because she's marrying the librarian, and she's getting older, and she's not married. And finally, her mother just bursts out and says, well, what is it you want in a man? And the character says something interesting. The character says, I want a man who thinks of me more than himself and thinks of us more than me. And let me tell you, there's a mountain of truth in that. Guys, listen carefully. Your wife wants you to think about the relationship more than yourself. She wants you to think about us more than me. It's us. And I have to just warn you, ladies, if you're single, you're going to want to have the DTR conversation far sooner than the man will. Do you know what the DTR conversation is? Define the relationship. So, girls, you're going to want to have the DTR conversation way sooner than Bubba will. And you're going to be dating him for a few months, and you'll be out to eat somewhere. And finally, you're just going to burst out, and you're going to say, well, I want to know, where are we at in this relationship? And he's going to look around and go, Chick-fil-A? I don't know. Where where are we at? I think it's where we're at. He's going to be a lot slower. But, man, you need to understand that. She wants the relationship. And you put the other person first. It's putting the what's good for the relationship. And so when it comes to guys, guys, I've got to talk to you about putting, I'm going to come back to this uh, in my last point when we talk about husbands loving your wives, but let me say it now. Um, If it's got a motor and it's loud, I like it. Okay? And I like loud guitars, and I like um, to go to the gun range and, and target shoot and all those sort of things. And guys, what you learn is you can never have too many motorcycles, you can never have too many uh guitars and you can never have too many hot rod cars right that's why some of you guys just dream of being jay leno that's what you want to be you want to live in california with a garage full of hot rods that's all you want to do and let me just tell you i could go buy with cash right now the nicest hot rod in kansas city but you know what 
My family comes first. I have a daughter that's going to college. I got to pay for her college. Uh, I believe in Dave Ramsey stuff. Y'all have an emergency fund of several months where if something goes wrong, everybody loses your job. It's no sweat. All that's important. That means the relationship comes before me wanting another toy. You see what I'm saying? The relationship comes first. You submit to one another. Now, that said, we've got three things we've talked about. First of all, what? We want to be what? Some of y'all got to work on that. We want to be what? Going to be? And then you got to what? And then you got what? Put each other? Now he moves down and he talks to husbands and wives. Let me say a few things about husbands and wives. And he says, ladies, wives, respect your husband. Verse 21 is connected to verse 22 because actually the verb submit in verse 22 is supplied from verse 21. That's just the way the Greek works. So we know the verses are connected. Frankly, if I just wanted to tick off half of Wichita, everybody knows it. I could buy a 30-second time slot and read Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, wives submit to your husbands, and we would have people raving mad in the streets out here outside the church, right? We, they'd be ticked off. So let me try to explain to you what it doesn't mean. These are controversial verses, and they've been abused by crude and boorish men and lampooned by secular atheists, but understood in context, they are part of a tender symmetry that God has for marriage. The very idea of submission in our culture to anything is just foreign. Everybody wants to shake their fist in the face of authority. Let me just make sure we all understand men and women are of equal worth. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, the Bible says God created man in his own image. In his own image, he made him. Then he says male and female, he made them. I, without getting into details, I cannot begin to tell you how different a fe- Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is in its picture of women than anything else in ancient Near Eastern literature. Uh, it's so, it stands out like this diamond in a field full of gravel. That men and women are equal. They're made in the image of God. And when we use the word submit, we often think of mixed martial arts. You guys ever watch that stuff? There's MMA stuff on TV. And someone gets someone in a submission hold. Well, that's not what the word means here. The word submit, it's a military term. It means to line up under. It's, it's kind of like standing in rank, if you will. So it's not really about violence. Let me explain to you what it is by telling you what it's not. First of all, it's not all women to all men. This verse has specific application to the home. We are not talking about business. I actually interviewed for a job one time. This is embarrassing. I interviewed for a job one time at a seminary years ago before I was hired at Midwestern. And uh, Lisa and I went. I did not get the job. The word came back that the guy who was interviewing, I, I can't make this up. It's embarrassing to say it. He did not think my wife was submissive enough to him. And I, I almost went into Captain Redneck mode, if you know what I'm saying, because I'm like, you know, last time I read the Bible, my wife is not to submit to you. That guy had a problem, and um, he's no longer president of that school. So it doesn't mean all men to all women. It's not for dating, all right? So one time I was teaching on this stuff, and a young lady who I really respect had a question and answer time. She's a very, very bright young woman. Uh, she's a high school basketball coach and played college basketball. She's a great Christian young lady. She said, Alan, I want to ask you a question. When does submission start? I said, well, 
tell me what you mean. She said, well, I went out with this guy a couple of times and he started talking about me submitting to him in the dating relationship. And this is my answer to her. And this is what I tell you. Any boy comes around my house wanting to date one of my daughters and he starts talking about biblical submission in a dating relationship. The only thing he's going to submit to is me. You hear what I'm saying? Bubba, just because, listen, and I got enough money to pay for my daughter's steak over there at the Golden Corral, Papa. So you can just bring her home. You know, I, I, I have this problem sometimes. I, I read things into the text that aren't there. Genesis 1.28 says God made all the creeping things that creep on the earth. That's what the King James says. And I keep thinking of teenage boys when I read that. I mean, I, 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 at least 21-year-old young men that come around. My, they show up, right? So young ladies, listen to me. Some guy ever tries to lay this line on you in a dating relationship. You say, when does it start? It starts when he's at an altar and he says, I do. Don't let somebody try to lay this on you in a dating relationship. It's intelligent and voluntary. This is a choice you have to make, ladies. I can't make it for you. Men, you can't make that choice for your wife. It's between her and Jesus. You can't, and, and I've had guys come to me and say, I need you to talk to my wife about submitting to me. I say, oh, well, uh, what I need, think I need to talk to you about is loving your wife like Christ loves the church. So men, I want all the men, I'm going to show you something that's real deep. We're about to get deep in the Bible, men. I mean, we're about to get deep. I mean, this is deep. So I want all the men to look at the text, Ephesians 5, 22. Are you looking at it? I want all the men. What's the first word in Ephesians 5, 22, men? What's the first word? I'm not sure all of you are with me. What's the first verse in Ephesians 5.22? Wives. So that means Ephesians 5.22 is written to who? The Okay, what's the first verse in Ephesians 5? What's the first word in Ephesians 5.25? So, so maybe this is too deep for you, but that means Ephesians 5.22 through 24 is written to the... And Ephesians 5.25 is written to the... So husbands, your job is to pay attention to what it says in Ephesians 5, 25 and following. Are you tracking me? Are you following me? Ladies, it's intelligent. It's, invol- it's voluntary. It's between you and Jesus. It's a matter of the Lordship. It comes from the Holy Spirit. What does Ephesians 5, 18 say? Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Ladies, it, it's something the Holy Spirit has to do in your heart. And I can't make you and I can't force you. It is intelligent. It's voluntary. It does not mean submission to physical abuse. We don't talk about physical abuse in churches too much, and that's a shame. But I'm going to say a word about it quickly right here. Listen carefully. Any man who thinks he has a mandate from the Bible to hit his wife is an ungodly, vile liar. Do you hear what I just said? And he needs to repent, and he needs to get help. Listen, if there's any woman in the sound of my voice and you're in a relationship where you are being physically abused, here's what Pastor Allen's advice is. Get out. In the name of Jesus, get out. God did not call you to be somebody's punching bag. I, I'm off, you know, I, I, I'm, a country, I'm a country preacher with an education, which is kind of dangerous because sometimes things get mixed up. But when I meet these dudes that, that feel like they need to hit on their hit their their wives. I'll be honest. My honest opinion is, what is it? Club rodeo is that the place y'all tell me about here in town? Is that the juke joint here in town? Is that right? These dudes think they're that bad. My, why don't they go down there on a Friday night, find the biggest dude in there, and take a swing if they want to prove how tough they are? 
You know why they don't? Because they're cowards. There is no room for physical abuse in a Christian marriage, period. And ladies, if you're being abused, you need to get up with me and the staff and the deacons, and we need to get you to a safe place. I'll just tell you, physical abuse rarely gets better. It almost always gets worse. Submission does not mean the wife has no voice. God will grant each of you wisdom in different areas in marriage. You knew each. You need each other. Ecclesiastes says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's the husband. That's the wife. That's the Lord. He binds you together. Lisa knows things I don't know. I'm going to tell you guys something that's probably embarrassing, and I shouldn't say this. My wife's better at negotiating for cars than I am. That's humbling. And here's why. Because men, we get, in, we get emotionally engaged about cars, right? Because our identity is all in cars. And for her, she's just not that emotionally engaged in the identity. So she's a little, no, no, we're not going to pay that. We've made an offer and we're leaving. Here's my card. Call me. And I'm like, no, I want it, baby. I want it. Just get in the car. You need each other. Doesn't mean she doesn't have a voice. My word. You know what Proverbs 31 says about the godly wife? It says the virtuous wife, I'm quoting from Proverbs 31, 26, opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. God gives a man a wife to speak wisdom into his life and marriage. A smart man will listen to her. Number five, it's as unto the Lord. Notice what it says. Verse 22, wives be subject, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So there's a qualifying phrase here, as unto the Lord. This means it doesn't include sinful behavior. This is the idea of godly, holy behavior. Well, what does it mean? It's a tangible expression of respect, of submission to Christ. And when practiced properly, is a lovely expression of God's design for marriage. It's really summed up in verse 33. Notice what it says. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself. The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Ladies, your husband needs your respect more than anything else. When was the last time and you looked at your husband in front of the kids and said, I want you to know I think you're a good man and I'm glad you're the husband in our home and I'm glad you're the spiritual leader in our home and I'm proud of you. He wants respect and he needs that from you. He needs respect. Ladies, if you want to kill your husband and knock him off at the knees, you put him down in public. He needs your respect. He needs to hear from you that you think he's valuable and of worth and important and that you respect and honor him. Even on days when he's not at his best. So wives, your husband needs your respect. Husbands, your wife's greatest need is love. Ephesians 5.25, notice what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. My word. As Christ loved the church, the standard is Jesus, men. He said he did this, and notice what it says, to present the church without spot or wrinkle. Did you see that there? So your wife... Your goal and your love for your wife is to do the very best for her, that you would present her to the Lord as someone who loves Jesus Christ, and you want the very best for her. By the way, Jesus is a faithful Lord. He never abandons us, right? When Jesus comes in, he never leaves. You got it? He keeps his covenant with us. Men, you listen to me. 
Loving your wife like you love the church means you are a faithful husband and you're not looking at porn on the internet and you're not checking out whoever's at work with you and you're not flinging off on some affair. I've heard so many Christian men try to justify adultery and it, is, it, it makes me nauseous. He's a faithful Lord. Your wife wants to know that she's the only girl in your heart. She needs your love. About two months ago, I guess it was, I, the time escapes me. I'll just tell you, I have a folder on my desk called Fallen, F-A-L-L-E-N. And every time some preacher gets caught doing something uh, immoral and he loses his ministry, I print off the article and I put it in that folder on my desk. My goal is so that I never wind up with my name in the folder. It's a reminder to me. Well, I had to add a name. Guy was the head of the executive committee for the Southern Baptist Convention. If you're not from our denomination, just let me tell you, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. He was the... Chair of the executive committee, it's one of those things that every preacher would love to try to do once in their life, and very few people ever get to do it. And, man, he preached on our campus a few times, and it came out. 65 years old, been unfaithful to his wife, lost his ministry. Man, it bothered me, because I really like this guy. About two days after that happened, I was so, it really threw me for a loop. I, uh, I took off work, and I went to Chick-fil-A and bought a large lemonade I mean it's enough to make a urologist go crazy I mean it was huge but I bought a large lemonade for Lisa because she likes Chick-fil-A lemonade I noticed if y'all notice how many of my stories revolve around me at Chick-fil-A that's really weird right I need help I'm gonna turn into a chicken but um and then I stopped by the grocery store and I bought her some flowers and I drove down to her office at St. Luke's on the plaza and I walked in she was uh, doing some sort of a review with, I think, a, a college student that was there doing his training for um, a licensed clinical social worker. And I walked in and I said, I brought you something. I got you some flowers. I got you a lemonade. We talked about this. We knew what had gone on with Dr. Page's life. And I said, um, I just want you to know you're the only girl in my heart. And men, does your wife know that she's the only girl in your heart? Do you love her like Christ of the church? He's a faithful Lord. He has never failed me. He's never abandoned me. And he's never walked out and quit. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's sacrificial. What did he do? He went to Calvary. He died in our place they put nails in his head a crown of uh, hand nails in his hand and a crown of thorns on his head and they held him up between heaven and earth and people walked by and wagged their head at him and made fun of him and he died that's agape we're not talking about some l-u-u-v-v-v love we are talking about agape husbands it is sacrifice. You sacrifice for your wife and your family, and they come first. You love your wife like Christ loves the church. You love your wife in spite of her imperfections. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we're sinners. Men, you're not as hot as you think you are. I meet some of these guys walking around, and they think, oh, you know, my wife, you know, she don't look like she used to. Bubba, you don't look like you used to either. You had not looked in the mirror lately. One old boy was in his bathroom, and he put on some weight, been married a number of years, and he stood up on the scale, and his belly was hanging down, and when he stood on the, the scale in the bathroom, he sucked in his gut <gasps> like that. And his wife said, you silly, that's not going to help. 
He said, yeah, it does. That's the only way I can see the numbers, right? So, um, <laughs> you ought to thank God. I've been around enough Baptist churches. I'm just going to tell you something. As a people group, Baptist men are the ugliest people on the face of planet Earth. I'm just going to tell you, y'all, we're all ugly. And I go to churches, I mean, all these lovely, sophisticated ladies that married these ugly men. Y'all all fall on your knees and thank God for the woman you married. Sacrificial love. You lead by serving. What did Jesus do? He washed their feet. Do you remember that? That's service. You lead by serving. It's a model for a husband. And we're back to something we mentioned earlier. Servant leadership, loving your wife like Christ loves the church means what's best for us, not what's best for me. And all this was so, I can't begin to tell you how foreign this sounded to the first century. Ladies, don't let the feminists steal these texts from you. If you could only understand the way the Roman family worked. And when Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, this was like, you've got to be kidding. We love each other, respect each other, that I'm to honor my husband. You've got to be kidding. They had what they called the patrifamilias in the Roman Empire. That guy held absolute authority over the family, could decide if children lived or died. And then for the church to come along and say, no, that's not how a husband acts. A husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church. It was earth-shattering. There's so much more I could say about marriage. But here's what I can tell you. You're never, ever, ever, ever going to have the marriage that you'd like to have until you both learn to submit to Jesus. Because as long as somebody else is Lord of the home. And by the way, if some of you are still hung up on, what does this mean about who washes dishes and who cooks? You hadn't got it yet. You haven't figured it out. This is not about who washes dishes and who cooks and who makes a bed and who does ironing. It's not about that. This is about who's Lord of the home and putting each other first and loving each other and forgiving each other and kindness to one each other. And we're not quitting. We're going to figure this out. But you're never, ever, ever going to understand everything that I just talked about today until you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in your heart, it's going to sound nuts. It is a spiritual gift that God does in you. And some of you this morning, if you're just really honest, whatever relationships you've had in the past, whether they've been up or down or all over the place, the real issue is not that, you know, you didn't have good conversation skills or you didn't have good problem-solving skills. Those are all helpful things to work on. The real issue is you don't have Jesus. And you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Men, you're never going to know how to love your wife as Christ loved the church until Jesus is in your heart. Ladies, you're never going to know how to respect your husband the way he needs until Jesus is in your heart. And today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Brother Mark's going to come. Brother Andy's here with me at the front. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you've never believed on Jesus in the way the Bible says, I am not promising you that if you give your life to Jesus today, you will not have any more problems. What I am promising you is Jesus gives you peace in the middle of problems. And for your marriage, I'm not promising you that you don't have a lot of hard work in front of you, but I'm telling you, Jesus works miracles in marriage. 
And there's some husbands and wives. Listen, there's some young people today. You've been saved. I mean, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but you need to make up your mind right now. Who are you going to marry? Are you going to marry somebody that loves Jesus, or are you just going to marry whoever you want? And for some of you, you're already Christians, you're already saved, but you need to come forward this morning and nail some things down in your heart that I'm going to search for a husband, for a wife that loves Jesus. That's what I want, and God make it so. And you need to come and pray and ask God to give you a spouse that would love you the way the Bible says that you need to be loved. And that starts with having a spouse that loves Jesus. So I'm going to pray. If you have any decision to make, you come. I'll be right here at the front with Brother Andy. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you, God, that you work miracles in marriage. I realize that there are many people here today, some who've been very grievously damaged and wounded in marriages that did not work out and they hurt. I pray you would find healing and peace in their life, dear God. I realize there are young people here today that may be in love with someone that's not a Christian and they have some important decisions to make about marriage and who they're going to marry. And I pray that you would convict them and they would make a decision to go God's way even when it hurts. I pray for people that don't know Jesus. I pray for some men in this room right now. They've been trying to do it their way and they've just screwed up, God. I pray today they believe on Jesus. I pray for some women here today and they've been trying everything the world tells them and I pray today they would give their life to Jesus. Father, the new birth is a miracle only you can do and I'm asking you to do it. In Jesus' name I pray.